How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? amen. The Lord is truly good. It's exciting to be in this series, uh, The Power to Produce Wealth. Last week, uh, if you missed it, you might want to get that uh, podcast or watch the video on YouTube. I want to greet all of you who are on our online service today. Uh, good to see each and every one of you, or at least to know that you're there. Uh, God bless you today. Um, today, I've got a word for you, but let's pray before we get into it. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Also, I just want to make sure we hit record on that camera back there in the middle camera. Chad, thank you. I didn't even have to say that. All right, so uh, we're in this passage, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 10 through 18. I want to draw your attention to one contrast, and we're not going to put it up on the screen, but verse 17 and 18, there's a contrast between our power and God's power. Okay. So in verse 17, Moses says, after you've gone into this land the Lord's given you, if you forget the Lord, you're going to say, my power and my strength have yeah. got this wealth for me. Yeah. But then he says in verse 18, but remember that it is the Lord your God who gives you the power yeah. to produce wealth. Yeah. And this contrast between my power and God's power yeah. is the key contrast that prevents us from entering into the place of divine empowerment. Yeah. Because living by my own power is so subtle that I can do it without knowing I'm doing it. Without realizing I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah. Without understanding that I've lived by my power instead of by God's power. Last Sunday, we focused on the word produce. Yeah. Today, we're going to focus on the word power. power. Sorry, I got pieces of uh, that, the headphones. Uh, so we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 29 through 31. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29 through 31. It says that he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Yeah. Can you say that with me? He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power. There's that word, the power to produce wealth. Yeah. Koach in the Hebrew. He increases the koach of the weak. Remember, it's the Lord your God who gives you the power the koach, the ability, the strength to, to produce wealth. But what do you have to do to qualify to receive that power, that strength? You got to be weary and you got to be weak. <laughs> Mercy. Because he only gives power to the weak and he only gives strength to the weary. Wow. And until you experience your personal weariness and your personal weakness, you are not yet qualified to receive the power of God. But that also means that if you feel weary and if you feel weak, you shouldn't feel bad about yourself. Because that means that you are qualified. He only gives strength to the weary and he only gives power to the weak. And so if you are weary and if you are weak, you are qualified to receive the power of God today. Yeah. Now, the thing that we must understand about the power of God before we even get into our message today is that the power of God that comes through the Holy Spirit 
is not a religious power. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit is not a religious spirit. And many of us think of the Holy Spirit as a religious spirit. We don't even know it. Yeah. Because when you think about the power of the Holy Spirit, we tend to focus on the fact that the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do churchy things. Right. That the only place where you can manifest the power of the Holy Spirit is at church. Yeah. Or to do churchy things in the world. Huh. So the power of the Holy Spirit comes to empower you to speak in tongues. That's churchy. Empowers you to pray for people at the altar. That's churchy. Empowers you to pray for sick people and they get healed. That's churchy. Gives you prophetic words. Interpretation of tongues. All of that churchy stuff. And, and if you think that's the only thing the Holy Spirit does, you're going to make enemies in your workplace because all you're going to be doing is walking around, prophesying over people, speaking in tongues over people. Don't you think it'd be nice if the Holy Spirit gave you an idea about how to do your work better? Yeah but you only think of him as a religious spirit, and so you only receive from him the power to do religious, churchy things. The Holy Spirit is not a religious spirit. Yes, he empowers us to heal the sick and to raise the dead and to lay hands and to prophesy and all that stuff. He also gives us business ideas. He also empowers us to be excellent on our jobs. How about the power of the Holy Spirit to get to work on time? You can pray for the sick, but you can't get to work on time. <laughs> the power of the Holy Spirit to drive well. Because you got a bumper sticker that says, Jesus is my co-pilot, and you need to let him drive. Because you drive like you got a demon. <laughs> or honk if you love Jesus, and somebody honked and you gave him the finger. <laughs> We're going to talk about this dude, Gideon. We're going to come back to the end of that Isaiah passage as well. Judges chapter 6, we discover this dude named Gideon. And we find him in a wine press threshing wheat. A wine press threshing wheat. I don't think I need to say to you that a wine press is indoors but you're supposed to thresh wheat outdoors. Because when you thresh wheat, you throw it up in the air and the wind blows away the chaff and the kernel of wheat falls to the ground. But in a wine press, there's no wheat. I mean, there's no wind. And so because there's no wind, you can't properly thresh wheat in a wine press. So the question is, why is he threshing wheat in a wine press? Because he's scared. And why is he scared? Because there's this group of people called the Midianites who are oppressing the people of Israel. They are far more in number than the children of Israel. They're stronger. They're more technologically advanced. They've got better weaponry. Their army is far better trained. This is during the time of the judges in Israel, which means that the kingdom of Israel had not yet been established. They had no king. And for long periods of time, they had no leaders. They had no government. There was no organizing factor. They were simply a loose confederation of tribes and very loosely confederated, meaning there was no central government. 
And what would happen is the people of Israel throughout the book of Judges would sin against the Lord and forget that God had brought them out of Egypt and they would start worshiping other gods. And then God would give them over to the hand of an oppressor who would beat the tar out of them for a while. Then they would remember, oh, wait a minute, we belong to God. And they would start crying out to God. And then God would raise up what was called a judge. And he would put his Holy Spirit on that judge. And that judge would deliver them from the hand of the enemy. They would serve God for about 45 minutes. Then they would go back to their old ways and repeat the process all over again. And that's how the book of Judges transpires. But in the book of Judges, there's one thing that qualifies you to be a leader in Israel. You've got to have the Holy Spirit. That is, the one thing that Israel never lost was the ability to recognize when the Holy Spirit rested upon a human being. Now we see the book of Judges chapter 6. This guy, Gideon, just like all the rest of the Israelites, is hiding in a cave, trying to thresh his wheat, trying to hide his food, because they're hiding from the Midianites. And what the Midianites would do is they would let the Israelites till the soil. They would let them sow the seed. They would let them water the seeds. They would let them raise the crops. And then just before harvest time, the Midianites would come and swarm the land like locusts and take all of the crops. And not only take all of the food, but take all of the sheep and the goats and the oxen and the donkeys and leave the Israelites starving and impoverished. Gideon is interrupted in the midst of his wheat threshing by an angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord comes and sits right by him and says, Greetings, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, what? Mighty warrior? Now you got the wrong guy. See, I am an Abiezrite. The Abiezrites were a a clan of a family of individuals, basically. Their father was Abiezer. And Abiezer's father was Machir, and Machir's father was Manasseh. So they're of the tribe of Manasseh, but they're of the clan of Abiezer. So the tribes were broken into clans. And, the, and Manasseh was the weakest of the tribes. It was actually only a half-tribe. And Abiezer was the weakest of the clans, of the weakest of the tribes. Yeah. And Gideon was the weakest of the Abiezrites. Yeah. <laughs> So he's literally the weakest, most feeble man in Israel. He's literally the least qualified to be called a mighty warrior. He's right now hiding and secretly threshing his wheat. Do you think he doesn't want freedom for the Israelites? Do you think he doesn't want to be past the oppression of the Midianites? Do you think he doesn't want to be a mighty warrior? Of course he wants to be the mighty warrior. The problem is that he's weary and he's weak. And here's how you know when you're in a weary and weak state. You either don't know what to do, you know something needs to be done, you just don't know what. Yeah. Or you know what to do, you just don't know how to do it. Or you know what to do and you know how to do it, you just don't have the energy yeah. to even begin. Yeah. That's the state of being weak yeah. and weary. Yeah. Your family has... Like it's at the, at the brink of poverty. And you know something needs to be done. But you just don't know what to do. Or you know what to do. You just don't know how to do it. Or you know what to do and you know how to do it. But you just can't seem to pull yourself out of bed. 
You just can't seem to find the discipline. You just can't seem to find the strength to do it. This state is called weariness and weakness. And there are three components to the power of God that comes upon you when you're in a state of weariness and weakness. The first component is called clarity. Shakes you out of your confusion to where all of a sudden you know who you are and you know what you're supposed to do. The second component is called strategy. Not only do you have the clarity to know who you are and what you're supposed to do, but you know exactly how you're supposed to do it. Now you've got strategy. And the third component to the power of God is called energy. And when the energy of God comes upon you, when that third component comes, all of a sudden you rise up and you've got the strength to actually execute the plan, to actually go forth and do it. Clarity, strategy, and energy. Right now you can do a personal assessment. You know which one you're missing. Sometimes you get all three, but only for a moment. Sometimes you get clarity, but when strategy doesn't come, after a certain period of time, your clarity begins to fade and you go back to confusion. Sometimes you get clarity and strategy, but if energy doesn't come after a certain period of time, your strategy fades and your clarity fades and you go back to confusion. You go back to this place of being weak and weary. And we don't realize that it's in the purpose of God that we return often to the state of weakness and weariness because it's in the state of weakness and weariness when we recognize that we're in the state of weakness and weariness that we begin to cry out to the Lord. That we begin to seek the face of God and say, God, I need your power. And I need your power now. I can't take another step. See, some of you have been feeling bad and feeling guilty and feeling ashamed of your inability to take another step. Yeah, yeah. You see the step that you need to take, but you can't take it because you're weak and you're weary. And all you know how to do is be ashamed of yourself for being weak and weary. And the word of the Lord is coming to you today to shake you free from that shame and say, drop that shame and drop that guilt and drop that feeling sorry for yourself and just cry out. It's God's plan. Of course you're weak and weary. God had to let you be weak and weary. God led you to the place of weakness and weariness. Why? So he could give you his strength and his power. Because he only gives strength to the weary and he only gives power to the weak. So the greatest favor God could give you is to allow you to be weak and weary for a moment. And we don't like that, do we? I don't want to be weak and weary. I just want to, and I want people to see me as the guy who wakes up every morning and let's go. 5 a.m., I'm ready. Uh, Superpower my way through this day. Let's go. That's not how I live my life. I wish it was. Somehow I make it back to that place on Sunday morning, but that's not how I wake up on Monday morning. There's this cycle of weakness and weariness that we revisit every week, and that's by design. So that once, because if God strengthened you and gave you power for for the rest of your life, you'd never come to him again. Thank you, Lord. See you later. Greetings, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He says this to Gideon at the place where he feels the weakest and the power and the most powerless and the most weary and the most weak. But the angel of the Lord is speaking not to his condition, but to his destiny. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
God sees you not according to your present condition, but according to your destiny. And when he addresses you, he addresses you according to your destiny and according to your, your identity in him, not according to your present condition. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Yeah. Gideon is still in the place of confusion. He's weary and he's weak. And the angel of the Lord's going to give him power. And how is the angel of the Lord going to give him power? First, there's a demonstration. He says, let me make you something to eat. The angel of the Lord says, go ahead, make me something to eat. I'll wait right here. He goes and makes the angel something to eat. The angel says, put it on that rock right there. He puts it on the rock. The angel takes his staff and touches the rock and it explodes. It just burns up. <laughs> and he's like, oh, snap. This is now, now he knows he's talking to an angel of the Lord. Yeah. That wakes him up. Sometimes God allows there to be just enough of a demonstration of his power to convince you that it's him talking to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't change your condition. It just opens your mind. It just, there's a moment of clarity where you realize that was God talking to me. Yeah. That was clearly the Lord speaking to me. But the next thing the angel does is gives him an instruction. He goes from demonstration to instruction. Yeah. The first thing you got to do, Gideon, is you got to go tear down that altar that your family's been worshiping. Mm-hmm. And then you got to build a proper altar to the Lord in that place. You cannot face the Midianites until you face your idolatry. Wow. You don't realize that the thing that's been weakening you is idolatry. Mm. You've got an altar to Baal that needs to be torn down. Mm. And this was scary because it was a generational altar. Wow. His father built it. His uncles worshipped at it. His uncles and aunts and cousins and brothers and sisters. He was the only one in his family that God was speaking to. And God says, you're going to go tear down that altar for the whole family. You're going to remove idolatry from your whole family. And Gideon still feels weak. How am I supposed to do that when nobody else hears what you're saying to me? And nobody else believes like I'm, nobody else knows that you've spoken to me. And he says, Gideon, you just do what I'm telling you to do. So the first point of clarity and the first point of of strategy and the first point of energy that Gideon gets is the clarity, strategy, and energy to turn tear down an altar. Yeah. This is the first power, the first component of the power of God that he gives you. The first thing he does is give you clarity around the place of idolatry in your life. Clarity around the place where the enemy wants to put his finger on your life and destroy you from that place. He opens your eyes to the idolatry that's been tripping you up and even in your family for generations. And he gives you the energy to tear down that altar to Baal. That's the first thing he does. Thinking about the woman at the well. You remember that story where Jesus is talking to this woman in Samaria at the well? He tells her that he has this living water to give her. She says, give me this water. And he says, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right, you don't have a husband. You had five husbands. The man you're with now is not your husband. So you're right when you say you don't have a husband. Why did he expose her like that? He was pointing out the place of idolatry that was preventing her from eat, from drinking the living water. And when he gave her clarity around that place of idolatry, she tore down that altar in her life. And when she tore down that altar in her heart, that made the space for the power and presence of Jesus to come flooding in. And now she becomes a witness and she goes into the city and brings everybody to Jesus. So now Gideon, scared to death at nighttime, goes and tears down the altar. And now his whole family's mad at him. 
Matter of fact, his cousins and uncles, they all came to his dad's house and said, bring out Gideon so we can kill him. And his dad said something crazy that didn't make any sense. Well, just let Baal fight for himself. If Baal wants to kill him, let Baal kill him. And everybody was so confused by that statement that they just kind of let it go. Just didn't make any sense. So now Gideon is at the place where God's called him to be a leader. But the first thing he does is tick off everybody he's supposed to lead. He's further away from being a leader than he was before God spoke to him. Sometimes God takes you backward to take you forward. And at that very moment, at that very place, in verse 33 of Judges chapter 6, it says that there was this critical moment where the Midianites and the Amalekites joined forces and brought together other armies of other eastern peoples. And they swarmed this whole valley. They were getting ready to annihilate Israel. And God responds to that in verse 34. It says... Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And he knew exactly what to do. The clarity, the strategy, and the energy came all in the same moment in verse 34. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and what did he do? He blew a trumpet. I mean, imagine Gideon, he's standing there and his whole family's mad at him and they're looking at him crazy like they want to do something and and he's scared to death and he's thinking this is all bad and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes on him and he goes, I need a trumpet. Where's a trumpet? Give me that trumpet. And he snatches a trumpet and blows the trumpet. It was a war cry. It was a call to war. And the scripture says he summoned the Abiezrites to follow him, which are the same people that just wanted to kill him for tearing down their altar. The moment he blows the trumpet, all of a sudden, God, the scripture says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did what was right. Everybody was angry at first until the Holy Spirit came upon him. He blows the trumpet, and now the same people who were angry with him, they follow him. Yeah. <laughs> now, I want us to understand the ridiculousity of this scene. <laughs> Subcromulent, to say the least. Gideon is getting ready to face a massive army, a multinational army, with the weakest clan of the weakest tribe of all of the tribes of Israel. That's all he's got. I mean, can you imagine, you know, Gideon being in another place and seeing some people and they're like, hey, heard you're starting an army. How's that little army of yours going? <laughs> it's like, well, you know, I've got the IBS rights. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just keep on keeping on. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. I mean, can you, you, if you could just imagine the sarcasm. Yeah, yeah. Gideon was hoping for Judah to show up. Yeah. Judah and Benjamin. Give me Judah and Benjamin. Manasseh can stay home. (laughs) He doesn't even get one tribe. He gets one clan, and it's the weakest clan. So now you've got the weakest member of the weakest clan leading the weakest clan to battle against the strongest army in the world. He blows a trumpet, and 32,000 Abiezrites assemble behind him. And the Lord speaks to him in chapter 7 and says, you got too many. 
Look at chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me. You hear what God's saying? You're too strong, Gideon. And so you can't receive my strength. I only give my strength to the weak. Remember. He only gives power to the weak and he only gives strength to the weary. Gideon, you're not weary enough. You're not weak enough. I've got to weaken you so that I can strengthen you. It's too much. I know you wanted a church with 2,000 people. I got to take you down sub 200 because it's too much. Too much, because then if I, if, I, if I let you go out there with 32,000 men and give you victory, you're going to come home and say, my own strength saved me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-mm. So here's what you do, Gideon. Stand before them and tell them, anybody who's scared can go home. Yeah. Anybody who's scared. So Gideon stands up and he gives a speech. If you're scared, you're scared, go home. Trust me, it's all right. Just go home to your families. I know we're 32,000. They're probably 350,000 or more. Just go home to your family. And 22,000 men left. <laughs> yeah. He's down to 10,000. Can you imagine seeing two-thirds of your army leave? Yeah. And it already wasn't enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God takes what's not enough and says, let's make it smaller. <laughs> God, you're moving me in the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And God says, 10,000? How many you got? 10,000? Yeah, 10,000 left. Still too many. Listen to what God says. What is it? Verse 4. God, but the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take, listen to this. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. <laughs> you hear what God says? Take them down to the water. I'll thin them out for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make this smaller for you. You still got too many people in your church. Some more folks got to leave. You got too much startup capital, Brian. Too much. I got to thin it out for you. You're making too much money at your job. I got I to gotta lower that for you. For you. I'm going to thin them out for you, Gideon. This is, this is for your benefit. Trust me. It's way too much. Take them down to the river. I'll thin them out for you there. And so Gideon... Still confused, like scared to death. Yeah. I don't know how we're going to do it with 10,000. God's like, you're right, it's impossible with 10,000. Way too many. <laughs> it's got to be much smaller. And so Gideon's thinking, maybe he'll get rid of 2,000 or 3,000. At least I'll have 7,000. Yeah. They get down to the river, and God says, watch the way they drink water. Tell them to drink. He says, everybody go get some water from the river. God says, watch this. The ones that get on their knees... Send them home. But the ones who stay alert, get the water in their hands and lap it like a dog, but they're still looking. That's your army. The ones who just like lose their battle position and get down on their knees and put their faces in the water, send those, those puppies, send them home. They're unfocused. So first he sent home 22,000 scaredy cats. Now he's sending home 9,700 unfocused, unbattle ready 
And now he's down to 300 warriors. Yeah. And God says, how many you got now? 300. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, so we're looking at a half million man army down in the valley. And there's 300 of us. And there's no King Leonidas here. What is we going to do? And God says, I've given them into your hand. You're going to kill all of them. But if you still don't believe me, here's what I want you to do. Tonight, when everybody goes to sleep, grab your homie Pua. And you and Pua go down into the enemy's camp. Trust me, just sneak down there. So Gideon's like, hey, Pua, let's go. So him and Pua, they go down into the enemy's camp late at night. And as they come around the corner, they see two men sitting by a fire. And one of them says, man, I had a crazy dream just now. He's like, really, what did you dream? He said, a round loaf of barley bread, like a big biscuit, a big bagel, came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. Verse 14, what did the other guy say? His friend responded, this can be none other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. You see what happened there? The enemy prophesied to him about what he was going to do. Sometimes the devil knows who you are better than you do. And what happens to Gideon in this moment? Verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down in worship. What's happening? Clarity, strategy, and energy. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Do you see what just happened there? His clarity, his strategy, his energy came at the same time, and he knew exactly what to do. He knew exactly how to do it, and all of a sudden he had the energy, the strength to do it. He said, get up. It's time to go to war. Let's do this thing. And what was the strategy? You can take the scripture down now. I won't need it anymore. What was the strategy? Gideon goes, I know exactly how to do this. We've been thinking about this all wrong. We've been thinking man-to-man battle. God has another plan. Here's what you need. Everybody get out a trumpet and a lamp. A trumpet and a lamp. Why do we need a lamp? Because you are the light of the world. A city set upon a hill cannot be hidden. Why do we need a trumpet? Because you're going to make a sound. See, I thought God was going to give us an army of 300,000. Instead, he gave me 300 trumpeters. And they spread out across the ridge overlooking the valley. And they all hold up their lanterns. And at the same time, they blow their trumpet. One trumpet blast is enough to call an army to war. Wow. 300 trumpet blasts at the same time created the sense that there was a vast army. Yeah. <laughs> the Midianites thought there's 300 armies up there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they were struck with such panic that they turned on each other and started killing one another. Yeah. 
And the ones that survived started to flee because they thought they were getting ready to be swarmed on by 300 armies. And the rest of the Israelites heard the trumpet blast, saw the confusion of the enemy, drew their swords, and went to war. Gideon realized he thought he was going to have to fight the battle man to man What he realized that God had called him to be the catalyst that would call the whole nation to war. Wow. Yeah. The point is that when the divine strategy came, yeah. Gideon realized, oh, that's why we only needed 300. Yeah. Some of us are at a place of confusion simply because we haven't received the divine strategy yet. And we think the Holy Spirit will give us everything but strategy. He'll give you a scripture. He might even make you feel good. Ooh, ooh. You feel that? Ooh, it's the Holy Spirit. He might make you roll around on the floor, but he won't give you the answer. Wow. One of Pastor Robert Daniel's friends came to a place where he was so impoverished that he couldn't even feed his family. And he called Pastor Daniel's one day, weeping. He said, I don't even have money to go buy groceries for my family. And Pastor Daniel's responded, because you've closed your heart to the blessing of the Lord. Look around your house. Everything you need to build wealth is there. Let the Lord show you where it is. And he said, all I've got is a mop and a bucket. And Bishop Daniel said, God can take that mop and bucket and turn it into wealth. So he got on his knees. He hung up the phone and got on his knees and began to pray. And the Lord spoke to him and said, start a janitorial service. He started it that day. And he got a job. And he went to the business and he took that mop and bucket, cleaned that place up. And he got another job and another and another. And it got to the point where he got so much work that he couldn't do it all himself. So he hired somebody and then he hired another person and then he hired another person. And before he knew it, within a few months, he wasn't doing any of the work. He had multiple janitorial teams that he was sending out. And before he knew it, his business had grown to the extent that he was wealthy. God literally took his mop and bucket and turned it into wealth. When we're in that place of weariness and weakness, we look around our house and we say, I've got nothing. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he opens your eyes and gives you clarity. And the moment God gives you clarity, Just like Moses, God gives him an impossible task. You're going to go deliver Israel from Egypt. How? What's that in your hand, Moses? It's a stick. Good, with that stick, you're going to strike Egypt. I'm going to strike Egypt with this stick. Yes, that's all you need is that stick. You're going to deliver Israel with that stick. Don't lose it. (laughs) How am I going to deliver Israel with this stick? Just watch. Yeah. The stick is all you need. 
you got to get that in your heart and mind that the stick is all you need. You look around your house, you've got a stick somewhere. You've got a mop somewhere. You've got something that God can use. All you need is for God to give you clarity and give you strategy and give you energy. But you got to believe that. Yes. You got to believe that. You got to believe that that you're not stuck. Yeah. That you're not trapped. Yeah. That you're not in a prison of mediocrity. Yeah. You're not locked in a prison of poverty. You're not stuck. Your father in heaven is wealthy. The cattle on a thousand hills belongs to him. You're not a failure. You're not worthless. You're not insignificant. You're not powerless. Your father has all things. And sometimes there's an extended period of weakness and weariness. Yeah. Embrace it. Don't try to end it prematurely. Yeah. Don't try to break yourself out of weakness and weariness. Don't try to figure it out yourself. We can spend so much time trying to figure it out ourselves, trying to overcome our own weakness and weariness, going through self-help books and listening to podcasts and trying to somehow stir ourselves up. And I'm not saying don't do that. That's cool too. But make your number one priority seeking the face of God, seeking his kingdom, seeking his righteousness, asking him, give me power, give me understanding, give me clarity, show me what to do. That's it. God will show you. God will show you. But you got to believe. You got to believe. My God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's going to. There's no way. There's no way he's going to leave me in this place. There's no way he's leaving me in the pit. There's no way he's abandoning my soul to the grave. There's no way he's suffering his holy one to see corruption. There's no way he's going to leave me in this place. There is no way. God, you open my eyes and you show me. Your speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. I'm seeking your kingdom and your righteousness. You said all these things will be added unto me as well. God, give me power. And you can't pray like that for long before the Lord gives you power. At every place where you hit a wall and it seems like there's nothing on the other side of that wall and there's no door in that wall, all of a sudden you begin to pray and you begin to seek the face of God and God gives you power to take that wall down. I told you I had a dream years ago that I was living in this little confined space, a little studio apartment, and I I was just feeling so confined and so constrained, and I was crying out to God, Lord, enlarge my territory. And all of a sudden, I looked at one of the walls, and it looked funny, and I went and tapped the wall, and it fell down, and there was a big kitchen and a dining room there on the other side of the wall, and I looked at another wall, and I tapped it, and it fell down, and there was a hallway with multiple bedrooms, and I touched another wall, it fell down, and there was a stairway going downstairs, and there was a whole nother apartment downstairs. And all of a sudden I realized I thought I lived in a constrained place. I actually lived in a big house. Yeah. Yeah. Gideon overcame the enemy. Yeah. Recovered the wealth of the people of God. Yeah. Became a conduit of divine provision for those who were in need. Yeah. How did he do it? He didn't know how. Yeah. Wasn't because of his personal genius. Yeah. He didn't have a Harvard MBA. Yeah. Wasn't because of a book he read. The Spirit of God came upon him 
and he blew a trumpet having, after having torn down an altar. Yeah. At the end of the day, all you got to do is tear down an altar and blow a trumpet and the right people will say yes to you. Wow. Yeah. But when the right people say yes to you, don't despise them. Because yeah. Yeah. sometimes the right people are the Abiezrites. Uh-huh. You were looking for the tribe of Judah. Uh-huh. You ain't getting Judah. You're not even getting all of Manasseh. Yeah. Just a handful of Abiezrites. Yeah. Because God takes the weak things of this world and uses them to confound the strong. Amen. He takes the base things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Amen. Why? So that no, no flesh may glory in his presence. Yeah. Yeah. Why does God do that? So that at the end of the day, when he does his thing, yeah. you'll never be able to say, it was my strength and my power, my wisdom, my understanding, my knowledge, yeah. my expertise. Uh-huh. Nah, dog, this was God. Yeah. Amen. Bow your heads and let's pray. And Jasmine, if you wouldn't mind coming to the, the keyboard for just a moment, if, you, if that's okay. Father, I just speak your blessing over each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours. Thank you so much that there's victory in the house today. Lord, whenever you send your word, your word brings us clarity. And I thank you that there is a certain amount of clarity that came just from the hearing of this word. And what the clarity that you brought through this word does today is it destroys the power of shame. Because so many of you here are are weary and weak and you feel ashamed of yourself for your weariness and your weakness. When it's, in fact, the very thing that qualifies you. Have you tried and failed? Good. Have you tried repeatedly and failed repeatedly? Perfect. Have you seen decrease and not increase? Wonderful. Because the deeper you go into the pit, the more qualified you become to partake of the blessing. The weaker you become. And how does that passage end in Isaiah 40? He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths become weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength They shall soar on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. I don't care if you failed a thousand times. Hope in the Lord. Because those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. I mean, I tell you, I've said again and again and again that at this stage in my life, I don't have the strength that I had 10 years ago. When we lost eight staff members, the first thing I thought was, God, I'm not in my early 30s anymore. I don't have the strength I used to have. If this happened 10 years ago, I would rise up and say, let's do it again. Let's start all over again. But I don't have that strength anymore, God. I'm weak and I'm weary. I'm weak and I'm weary. And the word of the Lord would to me was good because those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength 
Those who hope in the Lord, you don't have to be strong. You just got to hope in the Lord. You don't have to know what to do. You just got to hope in the Lord. You don't have to have a plan. You just got to hope in the Lord. You don't have to have a strategy. You just got to hope in the Lord because those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall soar on wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Hope in God. Hope in God. God, I know you're going to show me. I know you're going to show me. I know you're going to give me clarity. I know you're going to give me strategy. And I know you're going to give me energy. And God, now you know exactly which one of those things that I'm lacking. But my trust is in you. My trust is in you. So empower me, God. That's the prayer you got to pray. God, give me power. Give me power so that I know what to do. But God, thank you for letting me experience weakness and weariness because now when you do what you do, I'll never be able to say it was my strength. It was my power because I had none. I was fresh out. I was broke, busted, and disgusted. And now I'm soaring on the wings like eagles. Why? Because of my God. Because my God supplies all that I need according to his riches and glory because of his benevolence. Hallelujah. He's going to give you clarity. He's going to give you strategy. He's going to give you energy. That is the definition of his power. He's not a religious spirit, not just energy to go to church, to do stuff at church, to do churchy stuff in the world. He gives you clarity to know how to live your life. His divine power, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Yes. Not just godliness, but life. Yes. His divine power gives you the power to know how to order your home, to know how to manage your finances, to know how to take care of your children, to know how to order your business affairs in the world. His divine power gives us everything we need for life and for godliness. And so, Father, I pray that you would strengthen each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours under the sound of my voice with all power by your Spirit that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith and that we, being rooted and established in love, might have power together with all of the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high And how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or imagine, according to the power that is already at work in you. To him be glory in the church forever. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise. Amen. Listen, for your community group process this week, I've got a handout. It's at the Connection Center. Pick one up. It's also on the website on uh, lineage.us slash community. You can download the PDF of it there. It's a link to it. It's also going to be in the email tomorrow morning. And so use this process for your community group meeting this week, okay? It's based on this message that I preached to you today. Go through that process. That's how you do your community group this week. Amen? Amen. God bless you. We're dismissed. Yeah.